This season, or this week, we are kind of going to begin with our new series called Under One Roof. I know there's a sitcom called Under One Roof, and uh, Under One Roof was actually a series that we created that we wanted to address a certain relational tension that potentially have arise because of the lockdown. Initially, we were thinking to call it stuck at home, but right now I know nobody is stuck at home, all right? But Under One Roof uh, was really a fresh look at the relational uh, context of where we are. You know, in the pandemic, it has created a, a certain tension in the way we think, right? Has created a certain mental health, and I think we kind of address that. Uh, but today, we take on a relational lens and try to relook at this whole entire dynamics. Uh, and potentially, there's one thing that have not brought up the best in every one of us is within that shutdown, lockdown, uh, stuck at home context in the past one and a half years or so, uh, may not bring up the best. And I know that potentially some of us have a little bit of a tension and uh, you know inflexibility and all of that that potentially have uh, kind of emerged or emerged in within our family. Uh, so under one roof, uh, it's really a series where we have that little tagline reclaiming our relationship with one another. And the goal is very simple. The goal is we want to take back. Uh, we want to believe that through this series, we can help all of us to have a fresh lens of what it means uh, to relate to each other. Now, part of the so-called the making of this series uh, was really about a month ago, I also had a conversation and I met up with about 20 over students and uh, we were just talking about family and, uh, and there were lots of questions because uh, lots of students come from a very broken family and I think the reality is right now uh, that can be somewhat to a norm to a certain particular background of people and the uh, truth of the matter is when we came together there was one particular student who had felt question and this is the question and the question says this, he says that uh, Pastor, what should I do because every time when I think about my parents, the only word that comes to my mind is go to hell uh, and that was exactly that phrase and in the slido asked by one particular student. And I know that this student is trying to uh, be real and talk about the mixed emotion that he has or she has at the same time. And he or she was also thinking, what can I do, Pastor? How can I change from that? And I thought about that little phrase and I thought about how can a parental relationship actually come to such a difficult end? Uh, which reminds me of the many, many conversations I've had uh, with different ages, group of people, whether it's teens, uh, whether it's campus, whether it's young adults. Uh, I recall there was a particular young adult conversation that I had about uh, maybe one or two years ago. And this young adult was describing almost with tears about how he longed for just a family. And then he began to break it down to talk about uh, he no longer can talk to his dad because the dad has been violent and uh, how uh, since young, since 14, 15, 16, and his only whole goal was to get up from the house, uh, took on a part-time job and all of that. And, but the peak of the conversation comes to a point where he described to me, he says, you know, not only the relationship with the dad has been strained, but even with the sibling. And he talked about how there's one particular event. When he was at that event, he found out the brother was actually there. And, uh, but you know what? they both pretended they did not know each other and they went through the entire night of event not acknowledging, not talking. And I think these are some of the realities sometimes that lives in our world. Uh, so when I had that conversation about a month ago with the campus students, that thought really stuck to my heart. It became a heartfelt thing for me. 
And uh, with that, as I navigate through all our preaching series, I decided that, you know, why don't we do a series called Under One Roof? I kind of presented to the pastoral team, uh, and everybody said, yeah, that's great, you know, let's do that together. So the tagline was very simple. We want to reclaim back our relationship with each other. Now, it's not just tension that happens within our household. Uh, sometimes we take the whole en- entire relational sphere outside our working world, our neighbor and our friends. It gets a bit more complicated, isn't it? Uh, Then we will have friends or bosses or colleagues that somehow we were strained. Uh, Some of us struggle with unforgiveness. Some of us struggle with uh, don't talk to me anymore. Some of us struggle with don't know what to do. And, you know, all of us sort of have that little spot. And I think my whole goal in Under One Roof is that we will prioritize relationship and we will do everything that we can so that we fight back for the relationship that God has given unto us, all right? So I'm going to begin uh, <clears throat> with some words uh, from surveys of home, okay? Uh, what I meant by that, let me on this, okay? What I meant by that was, uh, you know, just talking to different people, Googling and all of that. Some of the words that potentially in the pandemic are words like can't relax, Easily agitated, more irritable, brink or burn out. I don't have my space. Uh, there were frequent arguments, you know. I think some of the words that potentially, when you look through that relational lens, can happen. Now, I'm not saying that happens to every family. Some of the family are enjoying each other. And I think, like, for my family, we really enjoy our kids together with us and everyone has their own space and we are quite rather happy. But that doesn't mean everybody is as such or the other way, all right? So I'm saying all of that because, not to bring any... Uh, judgment or any, but really want to take this opportunity to help all of us to relook at the relational muscle that God has given unto us. All right, now the concept uh, of one another is throughout in the New Testament. So in the New Testament, you find there's hundred over occurrence of one another, love one another, encourage one another, carry one another's burden, bear one another. You know what I'm saying? The Bible are full of different one another phrase, which is far more in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, out of the 100 over occurrence, there were all together 59 unique, different one another exaltation that is taken by Paul and all the other authors in the New Testament. So somehow, it was very clear from Old Testament to the New Testament, the whole one another thinking was very obvious and became very visible. Uh, So all of you know that when Jesus came on earth, one of the things that Jesus did was he wanted to show everybody how does the Heavenly Father looks like. And I think one of the components of who God is was very relational. I mean, we always talk about uh, believing in God wasn't a religion. It's a relationship. It is out of that relationship God changes us so that that relationship changes can be reflected in the community and in the society that they are in. So when Jesus came, there wasn't the concept of one another. There was concept of one, but not another. Because everybody is bothered about me, my, I, my one. Everybody wants what they want. Uh, so when you divided the social context when Jesus came, it uh, was very intriguing, you know why? Because from a racial point of view, there were a lot of tension. There was a tension between the Jews and the Samaritan. They were both in a small piece of land, but there were a lot of looking down upon each other. In fact, for the Jews, for many years, they treated people outside of their community as Gentiles. But for the Samaritan, they were a mixed breed. They were even despised. So there were a lot of racial tension, 
Uh, from a religious point of view, uh, there were a lot of tension as well. From a political point of view, way more than that. You know why? Because there were uh, the Roman Empire, which is really, uh, you know, having an oppression towards that nation. So a lot of Jews really hoped to overthrow the Roman Empire. And there were so many different wars that happened prior, prior before that. From a gender point of view, there was a division that happens within men and women. Women were very low class. Women were never treated in any honourable capacity at all. In fact, women wasn't even considered a weakness in the judicial system of the Middle East, uh, which means that whatever women had to say, uh, it was just kind of brushed aside. They were at the fringe of the society. Jesus came and he rebooted everything. Jesus was the only one who actually looked at women and put value and dignity and raised them up to the status of where they are, so to speak. Uh, so when you know whether you look at it religiously, you look at it from a racial point of view, from a political, from a gender, from a state, point of view, the rich despised on the poor, which is why when Jesus came, he kept on telling the rich, he said, you got to take care of the poor. The whole Sabbath system was to create so that the poor can be taken care. On the seventh day, the poor can actually glean from the field that you are not supposed to work at, all right? So when Jesus came, he was trying to reboot, reintroduce, reclaim back, not just one, but one another, and that was Jesus' thinking. So, so Jesus did this. Uh, when he came, he gotten the whole of 12 disciples, uh, not under one roof, but under one team, so to speak, okay? Uh, you know, yesterday, Arsenal won for the first time, okay? Team, talking about that, all right? Uh, and uh, so what happened is when Jesus came, and when he took this one team together, they were poles apart. You got Simon the Zealot, which his whole goal is to, his life purpose statement is to actually dethrone the Roman Empire. Then you got Matthew, the tax collector, which is really the most hated individual, so-called in the Jewish custom. And in fact, the Bible tells us that the tax collector was a category by itself. Jesus said this, all the sinners gather, and then the tax collector. The tax collector wasn't even considered as a sinner. It was worse than a sinner. So you got Simon the Zealot, in Jesus' team, and you got Matthew. You can imagine Jesus took the, all the different poles of tension, but he brought them together for three and a half years, or three years plus, so that he can teach them what it means to think about one another. So for three and a half years or so, Jesus consistently was helping them to wrestle with the concept of one another. Remember when Jesus was with the disciple at one time, and then one of the disciples, which is John, James and John, that came to Jesus and said, uh, uh, could we kind of sit at your right hand, you know, and Jesus said, no, no. And then all the diaspora was really upset. They were bengang, you know, they were really angry with, why in the world you did that? Because they were consistently a lot of just jolting each other so that they wanted to be at the place that they wanted to be. So Jesus was trying to teach them. Now, John chapter 13, which is the peak of Jesus' teaching of one another, and uh, it was very interesting. I'm going to unpack this verse a little bit. But this scenario was there was a last supper, just a night before Jesus is going to be betrayed. And if you recall, Jesus get all of them together in the last supper. Uh, the Bible says that he took out his outer garments. He put on the form of a servant and he took the towel and he washed everybody's feet. And then he told the disciple, what I did to you, you did it, you do it unto others. And then he said this particular phrase. Let me read it to you. He says, a new commandment I gave to you. What's so new about this commandment? Isn't this commandment 
the same commandment that Jesus has often been saying at different junctures. He says the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, love God and love others. So right now, Jesus are taking even that two commandments, kind of combine it to one single commandment. You know, the Jews used to have 613. Right now, Jesus summarized everything. He says, now, would you just remember this one new commandment? I give to you that you love one another. Now, the moment Jesus said until that, all the disciples said, Jesus, we got it. That, that is the commandment that you kept on telling us. Love God, love others, love your neighbor. But then, what is so new? Because the next phrase, Jesus told them, that's what made this commandment version 2.0. Jesus said, he said, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, Jesus, take this whole entire loving one another totally to a different category. You know, we love one another as long as He loves me. We love one another as long as He likes me. He love one another as long as He has a certain benefit. You know what I'm saying? We tend to love one another with a certain clause, but Jesus came and reset all this. He says, you ought to love one another just as I have loved you. That takes the whole love of one another to a brand new world and experience. And then Jesus continues to say that. He says, by this, by what? By this. By this, loving one another just as I have loved you. He says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, Jesus was astounding. He never talked about when you cast out demons, they will know you are my disciples. He never talked about when you had a great worship team, they will know you are my disciples. He never said that when you have a good counselling, they will know you are my disciples. All these things are part of expression, but Jesus said this, when you are able to love others just as I have loved you, He said it is that category of love that will change the world and people will know you are my disciple. A new commandment, version 2.0. He took all that the Bible has to say and shrink it to this. Now, in James, it's called the royal law, which is loving one another. But we're going to look at Paul, how he said it in the book of Ephesians shortly. But let me just kind of show you a couple of verses how Jesus loved us. John chapter 15, he says, Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friend. He says, the greatest expression of love is when you need to lay down your life for another. Uh, which is why in Ephesians 5, Jesus looked at the husband. He says, husband, you've got to love your wife just as Jesus, who laid down his life for the church, he's literally expecting for all the men to do so, okay? Matthew chapter 20, he says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That is staggering, you know why? Because Jesus is saying that for me, which is someone who came from heaven, which is God take on the form of a human, my job is not to be served, but to actually serve. I'm here. Uh, and I, I think that thinking is so powerful. And finally, in Romans chapter 5, he said, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how did Jesus love us? Jesus loved us when we are most unlovable. Jesus loved us and laid down his life when we did not even contribute to a bit of him deserving to actually love us. So Jesus said this, a new commandment that I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. All right, now I'm going to move to Ephesians chapter 5 because that's kind of the main text for this under one roof. And it's very important for me to establish the series by giving them the most foundational understanding of relating to one another. When it comes to one another, out of all the 59, it begins with this thought, in my humble opinion. 
Okay? Now, so Ephesians is a very unique book. You know why? Because Ephesians is called the queens of the queen of theology. Okay? Romans is called the king. And uh, the queen of the epistle or theology was simply saying that because Paul wrote to the book to the church in Ephesus, was detailing to them at least the first three chapters what we believe. And then the next two chapters, he tells them what you need to behave. And then the last chapter deals with warfare. He said, this is what you need to beware, so to speak, okay? Or some people call it, the first three chapters talk about the Word of God. The two chapters talk about your walk with God. And the last chapter talk about your war with the supernatural, okay? So that was really the, the kind of the context and the big picture on Ephesians or the book of Ephesians. So in chapter 5, this is where Paul, and this is where we're going to pick up, okay? So Paul told the church in Ephesus, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So he says, knowing that all that Christ has done for you, knowing that how much God loves you, how much God died for you, how much you have the truth of God, the grace of God, he says, then he says, this is how you walk. Not as unwise, but wise. Making the best use of your time, because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will and the, uh, of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine. So he makes a little twist. He says that don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? And then the next couple of verses, he was trying to describe how does fill with the Spirit looks like. Okay? So he says, do not be get drunk, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says three things. He says, number one, you address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That is not asking us to sing to each other all the time. That's not like, you know, uh, whatever, okay? I, I try to sing a song, but I better don't do that, okay? But he's not asking us to do that. He is simply asking us that whenever we talk to one another, always bring the praises and who God is in our conversation so that we encourage each other by doing that. Number two, he says, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of God Jesus. He says, the second thing that you do is you you give on praises unto God. So you are very thankful people and you enjoy the people around you and in the midst of relating, you always bring who God is in that conversation. And then in verse 21, he says you need to submit one another, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, Paul says it a little bit differently, but it's the same thing when Jesus said, love others just as I have loved you. It's exactly the same thing. But Paul uses this little word. We're going to look into it shortly. He says, you've got to submit to one another out of reverence uh, for Christ. Now, Ephesians 5.21 is the ending scripture that closes what it means in the earlier verses that talk about being filled with the Spirit. But it is also the beginning verse that talks about the rest of chapter 5 and up to chapter 6, verse 9. Because Paul is wanting the people to know the way you want to look at all your relationship in your life, and he kind of talked about three different relationships subsequently. He says the way you want to look at how should a husband and wife function, how should a parent and a children function, how should you as a boss treat your employee, and the three biggest layers of relationship. He says the foundation and stone of relating to one another is learn to submit to one another. He says that that is a foundational stone. He says if you were to understand, it is out of that foundation, husband and wife relationship is built upon. So then, he says, if you understand the submitting to one another, he says, why then you submit to your husband? The husband then 
Because you understand submitting to one another, you love your wife just as Christ loved you. Now, our problem is, wives like to hear what God is saying to the man, and men like to hear what God is saying to the wife. It wasn't meant to you, men or wife. So wife, you listen to what God has to say to you. Men, you listen to what you have. And then the rest of the verses, he was addressing the parents and the children, but all have this little basis of what it means that the way we relate to one another begins with the idea of mutual submission. Out of that, the rest of the relationship flows. So that little foundation thought is very important. Now we're going to look at it, okay? So the word submit, in the Greek is hupotasso. Hupo means under, hupo, okay? And the word tasso simply means it's rank. It's actually a military terminology where they rank people according to where they are, especially according to their battle plan or the, the battle that they're engaging. If you're a major, this is where you make a decision. If so it was trying to tell people, and the word under simply means you actually subject to the rank. So he actually borrowed a military concept, Paul, and try to help everybody. He says, submitting yourself to one another simply means you willingly to place yourself under or put yourself into subjection. I call this the tension of selfish and selfless. You know what? Every one of us are very good with I, me, and my. We are very quickly moved into a zone where we take care of ourselves. But the Bible says when you come to one another, your posture, the route that you take, it is not your route, it is actually others' route. It says that is the way you relate to each other. You always think what's best for the other person, what is the best interest you have in mind for them, and your posture is to subject and to be willing to serve the other one. All right, now, so for the rest of the time, I want to talk about how the submit to one another really looks like practically. All right, so I'm going to give you three handles, and hopefully these three handles kind of jumpstart. And for the rest of the series, uh, it's going to work out of this thing called submit to one another. Uh, the three handles are number one, willing to feel, willing to prefer, willing to serve. Would you say that together with me? Willing to feel, willing to prefer, willing to serve. Feel for each other, prefer each other, serve each other. I like the questions that I've sort of have created, and if you have worked with me, you will find that potentially these are the questions that I ask all the time. Willing to feel, the question that we should ask is, what is in your heart? You know, when it comes to one another, sometimes what we say, what we do, through the lens of our own perception, which is a filtered lens anyway. So if you, if you like someone, you filter it through the liking lens. If you already have a thought about someone, you actually filter it through that lens. And thus, sometimes what a person say, what a person do, we kind of take it off tangent. So the person didn't mean it to be like that, but you take it as such. It happens all the time, potentially every day. Uh, the person meant to say something, he has his struggle how to word his heart. You have a struggle to hear from your heart. And thus, with your filtered heart, oftentimes, he meant it for good, but you took it as evil. You know what I'm saying? There's that little tension and the perception and the selecting hearing and selective hearing and selective thinking that we have. We create that little thing. So in life, you always ask the million-dollar question, what's in your heart. You know, as a pastor, as a, as a husband, as a father, whatever, I think this is one of my favorite verse, or not favorite verse, favorite tag, favorite uh, sentence or phrase I use all the time. Uh, oftentimes I meet with people and after all that they say, I say, what's really in your heart? You know, I remember that 
uh, in my early days of uh, marriage uh, with Theresa, uh, we had a little bit of tension in this particular scenario. Sunday night, after service, after the whole day I came back, I come back home, one of the things I like to do is to watch Arsenal. I haven't been watching Arsenal for a while because of they've not been doing very well, okay? Uh, but anyway, uh, but I used to do that. Uh, last time, watch it is a joy now, watch it is a stress, right? Uh, so I de-stress myself by kind of watching Arsenal. And my wife will come out from the room and say, huh, watching football again. Uh, I, I, are you going to spend time with me? And I'm like, so in my mind, this is how I'm thinking, right? You know, Man has limited words. I spend the whole day talking, preaching, counseling, meeting with people, leaders meet. When I come back, right, I don't feel like I, I don't have to talk anymore, right? And uh, so in my mind, I just want to rest. But for my wife, it's the opposite. Uh, women like to talk. For them, talk is, is important for them. Uh, but when she wanted to talk, I don't feel like talking. It creates a certain tension. Uh, she wasn't be able to. She come and say, what? Watching again? You know, and then, and then I will react, and then she will react, and then we will, we will kind of head it into a very, uh, very difficult scenario until as days goes by, I learn to ask this question, what's in your heart? You know, when I talk to my wife, what's in her heart? Then she will say, what's in my heart is, I want you to spend time with me. That's exactly what I want. And you know what? I have learned that as a huge lesson. Every time when I see my wife in a certain spot, I know she wants my time because that is how her love language is. So I then will just carve out time. Then we created every Monday morning, uh, we get to spend time together, breakfast and talk whatever she wants to talk and do all of that. You know why? That is simply because I understood what's in her heart. There is something about what's in your heart they always pave a different way of thinking. So I want you to learn that. I want you the next time you're in a conversation with your boss or whatever, ask them, well, what's really in your heart? Uh, or your children, what's really in your heart? Uh, I remember having conversations with my kids, so what's in your heart? And all the kids will say that, Dad, you know, I felt like sometimes you're comparing me with others. But that's not, that's not what's in my heart. I wasn't trying to compare. I was just trying to use maybe another person's example to try to inspire you. But somehow you perceive it as what's in your, uh, as in I'm compared, but I'm not. You know what I'm saying? So what's in your heart is a very good question that we can always ask to learn the handles and the beginning point of submitting to one another. The second question is always, what is best for you? What is best for you? Uh, you know, th th this is a scenario right now, but what's best for you? Uh, this is a pandemic, what's best for you? Uh, you know, we cannot go out, what's best for you? You know what I'm saying? It's learning to put others first and that little thought. And the third question, because of time, let me just move as fast as I can. The, the third question is, what can I do to serve you? Not what can I do, I think. It's what can I do? to serve you better. What can I do? What can I do? And, uh, you know, having that little three thoughts uh, helps you to learn how to submit to one another. Uh, obviously, I am far from perfection when it comes to relating. I've got my gaps. I've got my blind spot. But overall, I think generally, I'm quite a relational kind of a guy. And I, I will remember there were moments I, when I first had my maid, she arrived, and I, and I pick her back and bring her to the car. She was so shocked and kept on fighting with me. Take that the back. She says, you are the boss. I am not. I should be the one carry the bag. You know, submitting to one another is not about hierarchy. It is because you as a boss who understand heartfelt for what a servant may be go through 
and trying to serve them at the same time they knowing who they are, trying to serve you back. It is that kind of thing that actually will bring the greatest joy in relating to one another. You know, I say this all the time, and, and, I, know, and I know I said it funnily. Uh, people will introduce me and say, hey, that's a senior pastor. I always tell them, no, 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 no. I'm the senior pastor, okay? I'm the chief senior of all. And I, I don't mean by saying that I've got a particular scene that I've got to wrestle with. All of us are seniors. I don't have, okay? And I do know all of us seen every day, just being who we are, the way we think, whatever. But my point was very simple. In our church, it is not about hierarchy. It's not about position. I just happen to get the greatest opportunity to play a role that I get to navigate by serving the church the most. And you know what? If there is anybody that rightly needs to serve the most, it has to be me. You know why? Because I play at that role. It's not because uh, I love to, whatever, it's a call of God, and of course I love to, but my point is this. Whenever we start to think how, what's best for you, how can I serve you, what's in your heart, we learn to take the focus off us and we move on to another person. You know, uh, I want to kind of close all, those, uh, all this by a little statement. The best relationship is when both are selfless to one another. Would you say that together with me? The best relationship is when both are selfless to one another. The worst kind of relationship is when you are selfish to each other. Now, whenever you are in an under one roof, pandemic can't move around, you will see someone who is more selfish or someone who is more selfless. You know, we like to say this little phrase in our culture. No, 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 you go first. No, 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 you go first. Sometimes we say that word uh, because that's just a courteous word to say. But sometimes we say the word because we really meant it with our heart. So can you imagine if in your family, the most popular phrase is, no, 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 you go first. So can you imagine if all the kids were arguing about a computer, who should, who should play the game first? Someone would say, no, 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 you go first. They would say, no, 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 you go first. You immediately create a different family dynamics because it's all about serving one another. I bring my kids out used to every Saturday morning for breakfast. Uh, one of my kids love Indian food. One of the kids love Chinese food. One of the kids love Western food. Another kid love Chinese, Indian, Western all together. Uh, potentially, that's the scenario. And you will always hear that little, what's are we going to have? No, 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 I want mama. No, 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 I want, I want hawker food. No, 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 I want McDonald's, right? Everybody kind of have that. Can you imagine if the scenario, no, 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 today, right? What do you like, Joash? Oh, you like, you like mama. Okay, let's go Joash way today. You know, what, what do you like, Joash? Okay, let's go the hawker way. Uh, you know, uh, Jaden, what do you like? Okay, let's go the Jaden. You know what I'm saying? So if we all were to think like that, it creates a different dynamics. Same thing in your marriage. Can you imagine? It is always, no, 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 you go first. No, 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 you go first, you go first. And, and, and when we start to think like that, preferring each other, serving each other, and allow the submitting to each other to be the most foundational stone of our relationship, then I think the relationship will be so incredibly enjoying and incredibly powerful. You know, every one of you that works for certain bosses, right? What kind of a boss do you want to work for? A boss that has the best interest in your mind, isn't it? A boss that's selfless. A boss that will look at you and say, hey, you know, you're staying back and you're alone. I'm going to stay back with you. I'm going to help you. You would love that. 
So the Bible, when Jesus came, He rebooted this entire thing called working with one another. He says that the way you want to think about one another begins with submitting one another where you are willing to subject yourself and you ask yourself three simple questions. What's in your heart? What's best for you? What can I do? All right, could you repeat that with me? What's in your heart? What's best for you? What can I do? The next time when you are in a little family squabble or whatever, or marriage tension, you go back to the three questions. What's in your heart? What's best for you? How can I serve you? Uh, you know, that applies and looks differently to different levels of relationship. Uh, when, when I am with my kids, uh, for example, uh, maybe I uh, used to come from a background where when my dad wants to talk, you better talk because I'm the dad. I need you to talk. Now means now. I am your father. Now means now. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know. Maybe that's not the way. Maybe the way is, you know, we need to talk about this, but what's best for you? Can, can you do it now? No, Dad, I, I felt very, I need some space. Okay, you take the space. After the space, could you be responsible to come? Let's talk about it. Why? Because submitting to one another has that little space where you learn how to serve each other and you don't have to betray your role as a father. You do not have to betray your role as a mom. You can have all of those coexist but still subject to one another, which is why the Bible says, children, if you understand what it means to subject to one another, then he says, you obey your parents. And he says, parents, do not put your children in a spot where you actually uh, make them upset. He says, do not, do not, do not, I forgot that little word, okay? Do not uh, asparagus, or something like that, your children, okay? So anyway, uh, so I was wanting to tell all of us, relating to one another is incredibly powerful, but it begins with what's in your heart, what's best for you, what can I do? All right, let's pray. God, I thank you for this series under one roof, reclaiming back relationship, taking back every relational strand, relational uh, caught in the loop of a relational upheaval that don't know how to get out of it, that through this series, we will learn how to submit to one another and serve each other because the Bible says whenever we love each other, just as how you have loved us, we introduce a brand new version 2.0 of loving each other that the Bible says when we do that, the world will know we are your disciple. So I thank you and I pray that this series will change our lives together in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.